You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look Podcast with Jonathan Capehart. Happy St. Patrick's Day and welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor for the Washington Post. Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, Credit Suisse, First Republic. This has been a really rough week for the banking sector, but is it what's happening is what's happening bad for the economy? That's my question. Let's talk about it with David Lynch, global economics correspondent for the Washington Post. David, welcome to First Look. Happy St. Patrick's Day, Jonathan. Well, thank you. Same to you. Okay, so let's start with the most recent bank first. First Republic, the reports are that the 11 largest banks, uh, either in the United States or in the United States, pumped in a huge amount of cash to First Republic. Why was that necessary? Well, it's really designed as a vote of confidence. It's intended to send a single signal to investors and depositors that this bank is safe, that you don't have to worry about it. If you're a customer, uh, you don't have to pull your money out. Uh, the idea being, if it's if it's safe enough for Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan to put $5 billion of his bank's money uh, in there, it's safe enough for uh, for you or for anyone else. And uh, it was necessary because First Republic is seen by analysts and uh, uh, investors as potentially tarred by some of the same brushes uh, that hit Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, these mid-sized, uh, medium-sized banks with concentrated depositor bases, uh, perhaps weak balance sheets, and uh, vulnerability to an old-fashioned bank run. And, and by concentrated depositor, what was that phrase you used? Uh, sorry, the concentrated depositor base. That just means if you think about the way a bank does business, uh, the, a, a well-structured uh, bank will have customers from sort of across the spectrum, all sorts of different businesses, industries, and whatnot. Silicon Valley was very focused, laser-focused on the venture capital community, on the high-tech community. And so when that herd moved in one direction, they were in trouble. Okay, so I'm not um, someone who follows the banking sector or the economy as closely as you. Were you as surprised as a layperson like me by what happened to Silicon Valley Bank and then seemingly over the weekend, under the cover of darkness, um, the, the government shutting down Signature Bank? Uh, yes, I was surprised and more importantly, people who know a heck of a lot more about banking than I do uh, were surprised. I, I talked to a number of, uh, of experts, veterans, of the banking sector a week ago today uh, for a story that I wrote saying uh, sort of no, no matter how bad it got for Silicon Valley Bank, uh, it wasn't going to be a wider uh, so-called systemic issue. And that was the judgment uh, really across the board. And events moved with really incredible speed uh, throughout the final days of last week uh, and across the weekend. And what policymakers, I think, grew increasingly concerned about were signs that the infection, if you will, at Silicon Valley Bank was spreading to other banks, that really the confidence that is at the heart of the financial system was draining away at a really unexpectedly quick pace. And that's what motivated the extraordinary actions we saw last weekend. So one of the you know, critics of the extraordinary actions that you point out are calling this 
you know, a bailout of Silicon Valley Bank. Is that accurate? Is that fair to say that the bank was bailed out, particularly by the government? Well, of course, as with a lot of things in Washington, it's in the eye of the beholder. The, the arguments are the, the administration would say, no, look, we, we didn't bail anybody out. Everybody who was uh, in charge of managing that bank uh, all the way up to the CEO, they lost their job. And so they're out on, uh, not out on the street, obviously, the CEO's, I think, going to survive to fight another day. But the management has been replaced. The shareholders who invested their money in the bank uh, have seen their investments go to zero. So they've lost. Uh, and, and the customers have made whole. Now, uh, the argument that would say, well, OK, that's that's half the truth. Uh, taxpayers could still end up uh, paying something down the road for this uh, is is uh, worth consideration. And uh, second, the, uh, the structure or facility that the Federal Reserve has set up now, a special lending program to extend credit to other banks who might be worried about becoming the next Silicon Valley bank, the terms for those Federal Reserve loans are very generous. Uh, in other words, if, if you're a bank now and you're worried about your balance sheet and you have some uh, treasury bonds on your books that you bought a year, a year and a half ago, they've lost 15, 20% of their value. Uh, you and I have bonds like that in our 401ks probably. And we, we have the loss. Uh, the banks can take those depressed bonds to the Fed and they'll get, they'll get a loan against the original value. So uh -huh. it's as if the Fed is turning the clock back uh, a year, a year and a half and, and helping make the banking system whole. Well, uh, David, and you and I are, are young enough that we can wait out the market for the value of those bond, those bonds to go back up. Well, so, you know, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that, I mean, that's an important point. If, if Silicon Valley Bank had been able to hold its bonds to maturity, they would have suffered no loss. The problem was because as the Fed raised interest rates, that was bad news for the value of those bonds. They went down. But it was also bad news for the tech community because that's one of the frothiest, uh, most uh, risk-infected uh, areas of the economy. And so that really felt the impact of the Fed's higher interest rates first, which is why all of the Silicon Valley Bank depositors, not all of them, but many of them, were taking their money out of the bank to try and keep their companies going because they couldn't afford to, to borrow more money to keep them going. So they had to take the deposits out. As the deposits left, the bank had to sell off those depressed treasury bonds to raise money to satisfy their depositors, and that couldn't go on forever. David, as an aside, and I'm going to tell the control group, we're going to go a little long, long with David because this is great. But as you were talking, it made me wonder, is that why there have been all of these massive layoffs in the tech sector? Meta just announcing another 10,000 layoffs. Is it because of the the... Uh, what the Fed has done with interest rates and the and um, and all the investing in 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 bonds, or am I reading this wrong? The short answer is is yes. The longer answer is what we're going through now is really a sea change in the entire uh, financial climate, if you will. For over a decade, we've basically had a uh, an environment of free money, interest rates coming out of the two thousand eight. Uh, crisis were brought to zero, and they basically stayed at or near zero for the last 14 years. 
uh, with just a couple of brief exceptions. And that was designed to try and rescue the economy and try and get economic activity going. And to some degree, of course, it, it, uh, it did just that. But it also created uh, an atmosphere where, you know, if money's free, uh, it's like an all-you-can-eat buffet. If you go to a restaurant and it's all-you-can-eat, you're going to eat more than if you go to the Palm and you're paying, you know, $15 for a Caesar right. salad and $60 for a steak. You're going to be pretty judicious about, you know, what you order and how many people you take with you. Uh, but if this was an all you Oh, looks like we, we David's signal um, froze. Uh, oh, he's back. I heard him. David, are you there? Yeah, I'm sorry. We can blame Verizon for this. This is my uh, my uh, inexplicably bad FiOS connection at home. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, no, no problem, David. Um, you got your all-you-can-eat buffet analogy out there, which was terrific. Last question for you, because we are over time, but I need to ask you this. Yesterday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told Congress that the U.S. banking system remains sound and depositors' savings remain safe. Is she right? And does that mean more bank failures are not coming? She seems to be right. Certainly the authorities both here and in Europe have demonstrated that they're going to act quickly to do whatever is necessary in their judgment to backstop the system. It's impossible to rule out additional failures. But it does appear that the authorities, and this could be uh, a potential problem, are seen, seem to be sending the message that every bank is too big to fail, or really every decent-sized bank. Uh, and that's already drawn criticism on Capitol Hill, and it's going to be an issue we're going to be dealing with for a long time. David Lynch, you're terrific. I'm going to try to ruin your weekends and have you come on either the Saturday show or Sunday show one of these days soon. David Lynch, global economics correspondent for The Washington Post. Thank you for coming to First Look. Have a great weekend. You too. All right, we're going to keep the conversation going with our opinions roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of The Washington Post, where we will find Washington Post columnists Eugene Robinson and George Will. Gene, George, welcome back to First Look. It's good to be here, Jonathan. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Yes, happy St. Patrick's Day to both of you. So this is a question to both of you. So George, I'll have you go first. Just after the conversation I just had with David, I'm just wondering, should depositors be worried about the banking system? No, and that's a little bit unfortunate in the sense that <laughs> government, it seems to me, is trying to take the risk out of capitalism and capitalism without risk and capitalism without failure is comatose. We want the creative destruction. We're going to give up on the destruction. We're going to give up on the creativity and the dynamism. There is nothing alarming about an entity failing. What's interesting here and, and uh, is, is that uh, uh, the 16th largest bank is actually very small. Silicon Valley Bank. It is 2.3% the size of the top four banks. It's, it's less than 6% the size of J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, if this bank, this tiny fraction of our multi-trillion dollar banking system is presents a systemic risk, then we are really in, in deep trouble. The, the, the fact is that what they then said was, well, it's not that this bank is a systemic threat. It's that all mid-sized banks might somehow be caught up in a contagion let loose by Silicon Valley Bank. 
that strikes me as an overreaction. Gene, do you agree? Um, I, no, I, I actually don't. I mean, and I, I sympathize with, with, with George. Uh, I understand creative destruction. Uh, I believe in capitalism and, and um, it's, it's hard to be warm and fuzzy about the sort of Silicon Valley tech bro uh, uh, ecosystem, uh, which uh, is off-putting to a lot of people. But um, I do think this this bank was important. It was important um, to a particularly important to a sector of the economy that has been uh, responsible for tremendous innovation and growth um, uh, for the whole country uh, over the last thirty years. Um, the the Texas this was the go to bank for startups, uh, and you can't um it's it's one thing to say yes the you know institutions fail and the the uh the managers and executives of silicon valley bank uh, knew what they were doing or actually didn't know what they were doing but but they lose they're they're out of their jobs and and they should have some of their compensation clawed back probably and and the the shareholders in the bank lose um they come away with nothing um but the depositors include a lot of startup companies that were not just the founders, but, you know, em employees. There were payroll funds in, in that bank that, uh, you know, people were not going to get paid on, on Monday. Um, uh, and that for, the, for that ecosystem, the, the ecosystem served by Silicon Valley Bank and to some extent by First Republic Bank, um, which is also in that area, um, is is it really is vitally important to the country, even though it's not nearly as big as J.P. Morgan Chase. Mm -hmm. Well, George, given what you 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 said in in response to my initial question, I'm just wondering your assessment of the Biden administration's actions on Silicon Valley Bank and, and Signature Bank. Were its actions the proper role of government? Uh, I do not think so. I, I think obviously saving the financial system is a proper role of government, but it seems to me the administration is postulating that the financial sector is very brittle, and I don't think there's really evidence for that. What worries me, Jonathan, is we're tiptoeing toward a kind of capitalism where profits are private and losses are socialized. And this is this is a recipe for moral hazard. If you can take great risks and, the, and, and a relatively small bank like Silicon Valley Bank is declared systemically important and the government has to step in, then we're going to socialize losses. And that that is... Uh, that's simply un unacceptable, it seems to me. Mm -hmm. um, let, let's switch gears here. Um, I'm going to talk about the whole Russia drone, U.S. drone situation. But before that, the news that the that Chinese leader um, Xi Jinping and Putin are having a meeting next week. Uh, what's the significance of that, Gene? Well, it's very significant because um, you know because China is is so significant in today's world, and because Russia is still engaged in this war, and China uh, has declared its eternal friendship for Russia. So, so what's going to happen? And the question really is: Is she going there to um, to, to give more support to Putin uh, and to uh, to encourage him to provide to perhaps provide more help 
not just financial help, but weapons or something that will help him uh, in this um, illegal and, and horrible campaign that he's waging against Ukraine? Or is she going there um, to um, for a kind of come to Jesus meeting with Putin to say, this isn't working. This is bad for uh, uh, this is bad for us. This is bad for China. Uh, and and you need to wind this down somehow. So um, let's you know let's figure out. But you're not going to win um, what what you thought you were going to win in this war. Um, so and we don't know which way he's going. Right. And, and George, uh, I would love your thoughts on this. But also, am I making too much of um, President Xi's visit to Moscow to to Vladimir Putin? That this is coming on the heels of last week's. A sort of surprising announcement to me that China brokered a, a Middle East peace deal. No, I don't think you're you're making too much of this. It, it depends, as Jean says, on what they do when they sit down together in Moscow. If she says, well, we're going to start replacing your war fighting materials so that you can make this a protracted conflict, then that it really puts us in a terrific bind. Not a bind we can't get out of, but it complicates our life. Uh, the developments with China in the Middle East indicate that China is determined to be a global power with global reach and eventually a global reach for the Chinese People's Army, Liberation Army Navy, as they rather clunkily call it. Uh, so this China is uh, on the world stage to stay in their view. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, let's talk about that U.S. drone because this the, the announcement of Xi's visit to Moscow comes uh, after um, you know the U.S. drone had that encounter with the Russian fighter jet, which caused the U.S. to bring down that drone in the Black Sea. When have you listened to uh, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley how he described the incident? I can tell you with certainty, though, that we have absolute evidence of of the contact, the intercepts, et cetera, and it's very aggressive. Uh, you've heard about the dumping of the fuel and everything else. We have video evidence of all that. So um, there's, there's no question that that part of it's intentional. The actual physical contact of the aircraft, that I'm not so sure. Uh, so we'll have to figure that out. That we're, not, we're not positive of that yet. As far as an active war goes, I'm not going to go there. Incidents happen, um, and, and uh, clearly uh, we do not uh, seek armed conflict with, uh, with Russia. I love both your thoughts on this, but Gene, I'll start with you. The incident struck me as an incredible provocation. Uh, by Russia, by, by Putin. What did you make of it? Well, look, this is not the first time that Russian jets have, have buzzed, um, uh, even manned U.S. aircraft in various places in, in the world, um, come too close, done sort of dangerous things. Uh, this is the first time that I can recall that they actually hit something, which they probably didn't intend to hit. I doubt that uh, you would take a, you know, many multi-million dollar uh, fighter jet and deliberately run it into a, a drone, uh, perhaps uh, ruining your huge asset. They intended to to dump the fuel on the drone and, and, and mess it up. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, yes, it was provocative, but I think they had in, in advance, to the extent they had planned it, I think they had tried to measure the level of provocation, and, and they probably didn't intend to actually run into the thing. Mm, George, your thoughts? Fighter pilots are the world over fighter pilots. That is, they have animal spirits. And uh, 
I think we allow in our mind a 5% chance that this was a rogue fighter pilot who got excited and went off on a mission of his own. Even if that's not true, and even if this came from the highest levels of the, of the Russian government, uh, it's not the sort of thing that, that a great nation like ours needs to get in a terrific lather about. We should respond as we did, which is saying, don't do this, don't, don't make a habit of this, uh, and, and go on with the fact that what really matters isn't what happens to one drone over one uh, borderland of, of Russia. What matters is beating Russia. And uh, that I think we're going to do. And just uh, just to be clear, um, there are reports that top generals condoned um, what happened uh, with the drone, but there's no evidence that uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered um, uh, that that little piece of conflict there. Um, let's talk about the support for Ukraine and what's happening with, within the Republican Party. There's a growing divide among Republicans on whether Ukraine's security should be any of America's concern. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis saying this week that uh, becoming more involved uh, supporting Ukraine is not in the U.S. national interest. Uh, George, is this the clear sign yet that the Republican Party is no longer the party of Reagan? It's another sign of the redundant evidence that, uh, that Reaganism, as, as his opponents like to call it, is uh, under attack. Uh, it's not yet evidence that they've taken control of the party to that extent. What Mr. DeSantis said in this flippant way, that this, which he said through Tucker Carlson, you can't really make this nonsense up, that this is a mere territorial dispute. Uh, if that is his settled view after the dust settles and he elaborates on this, then he's not fit to be president, period. Uh, his words, let me give you a, 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 an echo, an anticipation of those words. 1938, Neville Chamberlain said about Czechoslovakia and Germany, a cool and a faraway country between people of whom we know nothing. Well, we knew a lot about them soon enough. Uh, so if, if this is a terrible thing for the DeSantis brand. The DeSantis brand is I'm a tough guy. I have a spine of steel. Yet in this case, since he was once an outspoken hawk against Russia and outspoken supporter of Ukraine, it looks as though he's now a human weather vane, that he is, has a wetted finger in the air. He's seen where the Republican nominating electorate is at this point, and he's trimming his sails. I've mixed about three metaphors in there, and I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, this is, this is as the Wall Street Journal said, DeSantis' first big mistake. And if he doubles down on this, it's disqualifying for a presidential candidate. Gene, what do you make of this? Uh, I would agree with George on the, on the substance. I think clearly this is where DeSantis thinks the Republican base is. Uh, and, you know, interestingly, the two leading candidates for the Republican nomination have essentially the same position, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Uh, and it's, so it, it will be fascinating to see if they think they can take the whole party along with them um, down the pro-Putin line, which is basically what it is. Uh, and, um, you know, there are, I, I have to believe there are still 
Republicans uh, out there, uh, even Republicans who vote in primaries, uh, who um, disagree with this. And um, they, might, they might even think that on some issues, Reagan was a squish, uh, but, uh, but, who, but who won't like this. I have to believe that. I'm not sure. We'll have to see. You know, George, this gets me to thinking about, since we're talking about Governor DeSantis and his stance on Ukraine, um, which you say is disqualifying and that he's a, a human weather vane and going to where he thinks the Republican primary electorate is, it got me to thinking about all the stuff that is happening in Florida under the banner of, quote unquote, and it's so tiresome, I can't even believe I'm going to say these words, anti-wokeism, that there's this relentless uh, and I'll use this word, attack on history and schools and LGBTQ people and kids and all sorts of things. Is he just doing that because he thinks that that is where the Republican Party base is and that is going to be his road to the nomination? I think that's part of it, but I also credit him with sincerity. I think that he is offended as a great many sensible people can be offended by the politicization of third grade and the politicization of, as we really did see, the uh, advanced placement test for African-American studies. Uh, the question about his political judgment, however, is if he has a brawl a day, he's wagering that the American people want a brawler. Now, I think, in fact, the dominant portion of the Republican nominating electorate loves the brawl. I don't think the country is. My estimate is that the country is not angry. The country is exhausted and embarrassed, and they'd like a little calm. And uh, so we're going to, that's why, as they say in baseball, that's why they play the games to find out who's best. We're going to find out who's got the, uh, whose assessment of the Republican nominate, of the Republican nominating electorate and the larger electorate is right. Gene, um, hold forth. What do you, what do you think of the question well, I posed? No, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I think George is basically right. We, George and I would, would disagree on that terrible word wokeness, uh, I think, um, uh, because I think uh, it's, it has become a meaningless word that that means um, you know what I don't like, uh, stuff I don't like um, for some people on the Republican side, and for a, a, a lot of uh, other people, it uh, it retains its original meaning, which was more about being you know courteous and thoughtful and and uh, considerate uh, of people and their feelings and their histories and um but you know that aside i do uh, i i hope george is right that the country is exhausted uh and not in the mood for more brawling uh because um because i think i think that would be a better place for the country to be than the alternative and with that we're going to leave it there george will Gene Robinson, thank you both very much, as always, for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. Glad to be with you, too. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with the series, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.